Well, good morning. I know that uh, as we gather each week in a time like this, that there are people out there that join us both in person and online that are at all different places in your walk with Jesus Christ. There are some of you who grew up in a Christian home that you committed your life to Jesus at an early age, and you, you probably don't even remember life without Jesus. And there are some others who are joining us today, I'm pretty sure, who are kind of just checking out Jesus for the first time. Maybe there's something going on in your life, some difficulty, and you think, well, maybe Jesus can do something about that. Maybe you're having problems in your marriage, or maybe you're having troubles with your kids, or or maybe your finances are a mess, or maybe you really hate your job, and you think, maybe Jesus could do something about that. And so that's why you're joining us today. It might even be that even if you committed your life to Jesus at an early age, that that's why you're here today too. Maybe you have something going on in your life that, that you think, man, Jesus could really help me out with that. And you know what? That's true. Jesus can do all those things. He can make your marriage better. He can help you raise your kids. He can help you with your finances. He can make your job more enjoyable and, and give purpose to it. But as we look at these, uh, these signs of Jesus, one of the things that we're learning is that coming to Jesus needs to be done for the right reasons. And we're going to especially see that this morning as we look at this fifth sign that we're going to study this morning from the, the book of John. We've been looking at these signs and each one of them tell us something about Jesus and, and who He is and how we ought to relate to Him. And today as we get to this fifth sign, we're going to find out the, the real reason that we ought to come to Jesus. And spoiler alert, it's not so that Jesus can make us happy or to make our lives comfortable. He can do that, but that's not the reason that we ought to come to Him. The fact is that, that in our lives... Jesus doesn't always make our lives easy, does He? Matter of fact, sometimes when we commit our lives to Jesus, things actually get more difficult for a period of time. But the good news is, as we've sung about this morning, as we're going to see this morning, is Jesus has promised to be with us through those times. The Apostle Paul was writing to a, a young pastor named Timothy, and he wrote this, and it ought to be a, a good reminder. He says, indeed, and here's the key word, all, all means all. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, not maybe, but will be persecuted. So we ought to expect that as we give our lives to Jesus, that, that He's not necessarily going to make them easy for us. He's not going to necessarily make things comfortable. Now, the, the sign that we're going to look at today, it follows right after the sign that we looked at last week, which is the feeding of the multitude. And uh, hopefully you remember we found the account of that sign back in John chapter 6 at the beginning of that chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to go ahead and open them up to John chapter 6. We're going to stay there in that chapter today. Uh, the verses will also be up on the screen if you don't happen to have your Bible or your device with you today. And um, we're going to look at this account today. Now, there are really two key verses, I think, that, that set the stage for this fifth sign. There are verses 14 and 15 in John chapter 6, and so I want to look at those first because I think they are really the key to helping us understand what this fifth sign means for us. So here's, here's what John wrote. He said, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this, indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we see here that it, after, he, after he feeds the multitude, that the crowds, they were looking for a, a king. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to make life easier for them. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come in and who was going to overthrow the, the Roman government who wasn't very nice to Jews, and he was going to set up his own earthly kingdom. And that would make life a whole lot better for them, to be real honest. And that's what they were looking for. But we see here that, that Jesus wasn't about to do that. Now, Jesus will one day come back to this earth and he will be an earthly king. But that wasn't his purpose the first time he came here to this earth. And so when the people say, we're going to make Jesus king, Jesus wants to make sure that they don't misunderstand the kind of Messiah that he's going to be. So, so he goes off and he withdraws to this mountain. And I think we're going to see as we look at this, this fifth sign that even the disciples had this tendency to get caught up in the emotion of the moment. We know that a lot of them wanted the same kind of Messiah the crowds did. They wanted a Messiah who would make life easier for them, who would make life comfortable for them by becoming a king. But Jesus wasn't ready to do that yet. That wasn't his purpose. That's not why he came. And so I think he performs this fifth sign to really help the disciples primarily to understand what kind of a Messiah that he was going to be. So let's go ahead and pick up the account in John chapter 6 now. And I'm going to read in verse, starting in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. That's one of the biggest understatements in the scriptures, isn't it? But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. It's a really interesting account, and both Matthew and Mark give us some more details that help us to understand a little bit more about what happened here. And if you want to look at those later, I've given you a couple of references. For those of you that printed out the, uh, the sermon outline a couple days ago, Nate pointed out I had a wrong reference in there. It should be Matthew 14 and not Matthew 12. But there you can find these, these accounts of what happened there, and they both add some additional information that help us kind of put all the pieces together. And when we do that, here's, here's the picture that we get of what's going on here. You know, if we read just John's account, it almost makes it sound like the disciples just decided to take off and leave Jesus there by himself, right? But both Matthew and Mark tell us Jesus actually told them to get in the boat and to go to Capernaum, to go across the Sea of Galilee, which is more like a big lake, and go to Capernaum, and he was going to meet them there. And so they're actually being obedient to Jesus, and that's important here to understand. But I think the other reason that, that Jesus does that is as I mentioned earlier, I think Jesus knows that they have a tendency to get caught up with the rest of the crowd and in all the emotion that's going on there and that, that they're going to just jump in and try to make Jesus king. And so he sends them away. Now, I think when they started out on their voyage, they figured they were actually going to help Jesus become this king. But through this sign that he performs, he's going to show them that he's a completely different kind of Messiah. 
Now the, the trip across the lake here, or the Sea of Galilee, from where they were on kind of the northeastern shore over to Capernaum, it was really a pretty short trip, about five miles. If On the map here, it would be the kind of that red line. And, and, and we know that a lot of the disciples here, they were experienced fishermen. They'd been on the Sea of Galilee before, so this was nothing new. And it should have been this really simple trip for them. But they get on the boat, they run into this headwind, and, and because of the headwind, they don't really go anywhere. Matthew and Mark both tell us that by the time Jesus comes out to them, that it's the fourth watch of the night, which meant it would have been between 3 and 6 a.m. And these guys have been probably from about dark till somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. They've been rowing this boat, rowing this boat, and they've only gotten 3 or 4 miles out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, probably somewhere around where the blue line is on that map there. Matthew also adds a little more information for us about this about this sign. He tells us that this is when Peter asked Jesus to command him to walk out on the water. And uh, so we see that in Matthew's account. John doesn't even include it at all. And that's kind of strange to me. I mean, John would have been there. He would have been an eyewitness. He would have seen that. So my question to you this morning is, why do you think John would not include that in his gospel account? There's no right or wrong answers here. If you're joining us online, you can throw your thoughts in the comments. But does anyone have any idea? Why would John not include the account of of, of uh, Peter walking on the water here. Okay, I think that's it. Yeah, something along those lines. Remember, why is John including these seven signs in his gospel account? So that people would understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and so they would believe in him. And I think had he included the account of Peter... There would be a tendency for all of us to focus on Peter. I guarantee you that if you went and looked online and you looked at sermons from the account in Matthew chapter 14, almost all of them would be about Peter. But John wants us to keep the focus on, on Jesus here. So he omits that. So he tells us that, that when Jesus got done praying, he'd gone up on the mountain to pray that he decides to go meet the disciples in Capernaum. Now, the most logical way for him to do that would have been just to walk around the shoreline. He could have done that easily in the matter of a, probably a couple of hours, maybe three hours, something like that. But there was a problem. In order for him to do that, he would have had to walk right through the same crowds that he was trying to avoid. So what Jesus does is, is he just decides to walk on water because that's no big deal for him. He can do that. And so he, he walks out to the boat, tells us that when he gets out to the boat, that the boat immediately was on shore. And as you can see on the map here, they, they landed a place named Gennesaret, rather than at Capernaum. It's only a few miles from Capernaum. And then eventually Jesus makes his way back to Capernaum a day or two later where he, he teaches in the synagogue, which we see later on there in, in John chapter 6. So they're immediately there. That's pretty amazing, right? And before we get into what this, what this sign means for us, I wanted to, to talk for just a moment about the lengths to which people will go to try to disprove these kind of miracles of Jesus. I did some, some research this week, and it's really interesting of the, the theories and ideas that people have come up with over the years. There was a, a, a professor of oceanography, 
at uh, Florida State U uh, University. His name was Darren Knopf. And he came up with this theory, and he said back at that time, the weather conditions would have been just right, and it would have formed ice on the Sea of Galilee. And that Jesus wasn't walking on water. He was actually walking out on ice to the boat there. Now, as you guys can imagine, that creates a whole other set of questions, right? How does Jesus balance on a you know, piece of ice as he's going out there? How does he get from the ice into the boat? How do the disciples roll around on the lake if there's ice there? All kinds of things. So it raises its own questions, but it goes to show the lengths to which people go. A lot of people, this is one of the most common theories out there for people that don't want to believe this miracle. They said, well, Jesus was really just walking along the shore, and these experienced fishermen that are out there in the Sea of Galilee, in the storm, they'd gotten confused, and they were actually stuck on a sandbar right next to the shore, and Jesus was just walking along the shore. Or one of my favorites, there was also another guy that... Uh, looked at archaeological evidence, and he said, well, there was a big earthquake around that time, and the earthquake, it sent a bunch of rocks and stuff down into the Sea of Galilee, which is fairly shallow anyway, so Jesus was just walking on these rocks. Amazing, isn't it? But you know, it just goes to show that, that people will go to great lengths to try to disprove these miracles, because if they believe in the miracles, then they also come face to face with who Jesus is. And what he wants to do in their life. And they have to make a decision. Are they going to accept that or are they going to reject Jesus Christ? And a lot of people just don't want to do that. So they try to explain away the miracles. Now the purpose, as we said this morning, of this miracle, Jesus is trying to, to show his disciples the kind of Messiah he's going to be. That he's not the kind of Messiah that's just going to come and make things comfortable for him. So here's the big idea that I want us to take away from, from this passage this morning, that this fifth sign shows that Jesus is Lord of all creation, who I must follow because of who he is, not because he will make me happy. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. I'm pretty sure that when these disciples got on that boat, they, they were still looking for a Messiah who was going to be king. And they were willing to obey Jesus because they figured if they did what Jesus said, they were going to help him to become king. But when Jesus came walking out there on the water, he showed them he's a completely different kind of Messiah. He's a Messiah who had, had sovereignty, who had control, who was Lord over all of creation. I mean, think of all the things he does here. He defies gravity by walking on the water. He shows once again, as we've already seen with these signs, that, that he's not limited by time and space. As soon as he gets in the boat, it's immediately at the other shore. And Jesus not only demonstrates the kind of Messiah that he is by the things that he does, but also by the words that he says. He gets in the boat. What's the first thing that he says when he gets in the boat? What does he say? What's that? Yeah. It is I. I am he. I depend on your translation. It's interesting, in, in Greek, this is just two words. Ego and me. It literally means I am he. Now this is a really important saying because in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this is exactly what God said to Moses when he appeared before Moses, 
back in Exodus. Here's what the, the verse says in Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, and in the, in the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament, it's ego emi, I am who I am. And he said, tell the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And throughout the Gospel of John in particular, we find Jesus using that phrase over and over and over again because what he is doing is he is claiming to be equal with God. He is claiming to be God. And the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, they understood that. That every time Jesus said, I am like that, that he was claiming to be God. And as we've already seen with some of the signs, that got him in some pretty big trouble with the Jewish authorities. And so we see here that, that Jesus, he performs this sign to show what kind of a, a Messiah that he's going to be. And it's very clear that, that when Jesus came to earth, he didn't do it to make us comfortable. He didn't do it to make life easier for us. He didn't do it to make things convenient for us. He did it because it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about me at all. It's about God's glory. And in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul makes this really clear. Three different places he's going to make it clear that the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth was not just for our good. It was so that God would get glory. Here's the first, in verse 6, it says, To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And we see the next one in verse 12, So that we were the first to hope in Christ might be comfortable. No. Might have an easy life. No, might what? Might be to the praise of His glory. And then the last one, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, what to the praise of His glory. See, when Jesus came to this earth and He put on a body of flesh, do we get good out of it? Yes. Does it make life better for us? Absolutely. But that wasn't his main purpose. His main purpose was so that he would get glory. And so therefore, if I want to put my faith in him, I ought to do it just because of who he is, not because of what he can do for me, not because he's going to make me happy. So there are three implications of this that I want to share with you this morning. Three implications for my life out that come out of this sign. Here's the first one. Even if I follow Jesus, there will be storms in my life. You know, one of the, one of the things that um, Christians have often done, the church have often done, is they tell people, man, just come to Jesus and all your problems will be gone. And what eventually happens is people feel like that's kind of a bait and switch kind of thing. Because as we saw earlier, The Bible promises that when we come to Jesus, we're still going to have troubles. Sometimes they might even get worse. That's one of the reasons that that at the end of the service, we don't ask people to make a commitment to Jesus by raising your hand or walking to the front or or repeating a prayer because we want you to understand that, that following Jesus, making a commitment to him involves more than that. And it doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away. The disciples in this case, they were absolutely being obedient to Jesus. They weren't being disobedient to him at all. And yet they still had problems in their life. Now it is true that you can sometimes cause your own storms, right? You can make some bad decisions. You can sin. And when those those difficult times come in your life, you probably ought to evaluate your life and ask the question, is it something that I did? But a lot of the times it won't be. 
It's just because you're a follower of Jesus. And if these disciples who were obedient to Jesus still had storms in their life, why should we expect it would be any different for us? Second implication. Jesus doesn't always remove the storms, but he promises to be with me. He doesn't always remove the storms, but he does promise to be with me. I was thinking about this a lot this morning with all the songs that we were singing. And, and, and this is one of those um, you know, coincidences that when we picked out this music like three or four weeks ago, that we just happened to be singing today about the fact that Jesus is with us in the storms. How many of the songs were about that today, right? Or the passage that Steve read from Isaiah 43 at the end of our songs that talk about the fact that God... That we, we might have to go through the waters, but we won't be drowned. We might have to go through the fire, but we won't be burned. It's amazing here that Jesus did not allow any obstacle to keep him from getting out to the disciples so that he could be with them in the storm. Gravity couldn't keep him from being there. The waves couldn't keep him. The distance couldn't keep him. The darkness couldn't keep him. Nothing could keep him from being there because that was what he promised. He would be with them. The Bible is filled with stories of of people who were, were godly people that went through tremendous storms, but in every case, God was with them. I think about Noah. I mean, can you think? Noah spent years, maybe a hundred years building that ark. You know, we get the, the idea that he went out one day and just hopped on the ark. And then he spent a year or so on the sea. And we've talked about this before. When they finally landed, things weren't exactly really nice with all the dead bodies and everything there. But God was with him. Or think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar and they're thrown in the fiery furnace, but they're in the fiery furnace. Who's with them? Jesus is there with them. So they still go through it. Think about Daniel. Daniel goes up and prays like he always does. He defies the edict of the king, and he is thrown into the lion's den. He's not spared from that, but God is with him there. Think about Stephen. Acts chapter 7, we see the account of Stephen. Stephen, it says, is full of the Holy Spirit. He's a godly man, and yet he is stoned to death. Or even think about all the disciples, all the apostles, including John who writes this here. Almost every single one of them was killed for their faith. Sometimes horrible deaths, maybe with the exception of John, who lived to be pretty old. But in every case, Jesus was with them and that's what he promises to you he may not take away the storms but he'll be with you and he'll go through the storms with you finally the third implication this morning that's this to grow my relationship with Jesus I need to learn his ways and submit to them even when that is uncomfortable this isn't what the disciples wanted they wanted Jesus to be a king and he's trying to tell them here no I'm not going to be a king He says, you need to follow my ways, not not your own ideas about who I'm supposed to be. And when Jesus finally did reveal to them very clearly that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to die on a cross for their sins, and that he was going to rise from the grave to prove his, his mastery over death, when he told them that, you know what Peter does? Peter has the gall to rebuke Jesus for that. 
Here's what he said in Matthew. We see here's, here's Peter's response. It says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In other words, he's saying, You can't do it. That's not the way I want you to do it. That's not what's going to make me comfortable. That's not what's going to take away my problems. And we would do well to listen to Jesus' response to Peter here. Here's what Jesus says. He says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And we have this same tendency to do that too, don't we, sometimes? That we try to, we try to take the Word of God and we try to mold it and make it fit our own desires, our own ideas rather than letting the Word of God mold us and make us more like Jesus Christ. So we've seen this morning with this fifth sign, that Jesus is Lord of all creation, who I must follow because of who He is, not because He will make me happy. And that means that every single one of us that are here this morning, we need to respond in some way to the message that we've heard today. For those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, or at least never put your faith in Jesus Christ for the right reasons because of who He is, then this morning you need to do that. As we've pointed out before, a lot of us first came to Jesus because we wanted something out of Jesus. Some of the things I talked about before, for me it was I wanted the assurance that I was going to heaven one day when I died. And that's okay if that's how we initially come to Jesus. But at some point, we have to come to the place where we say, Jesus, I'm willing to commit my life to you just because of who you are so that you'll get all the glory. And if you've never done that, we want you to do that today. And as I said earlier, we're not going to ask you to raise your hand or walk down to the front or pray a prayer because we want you to fully understand what that decision involves. And so if you've never made that decision, we would love to talk to you more about that. And at the end of the, the message here, I'm going to share with you how you can get a hold of us, how you can contact us if you would like to learn more about how to make that kind of commitment in your life. For the rest of us who have made that decision, I do not, in, I want to make this really clear, I do not in any way want you to make you doubt your salvation. That's not my purpose at all. But I do think that we all need to to ask this question in our lives. Why do you follow Jesus? Do you do it because you're trying to get something out of Him? Do you do it because you want Him to make your life more comfortable or more easy? Or do you follow Jesus because of who He is? Because He is the, the Lord of His creation. Because He is the one who deserves all the glory and honor and praise. And so as you ask that question, I'm, I'm really confident that if you ask that question and you honestly answer it, that God will show you whatever you need to do next as a result of that. For some of you, you're going to say, yeah, I really do follow Jesus because I want to give Him glory in my life. And, and to that I say amen, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But maybe you're saying, no, I, I'd have to honestly say I came for another reason. I think God will show you what you need to do to, to confess that, to repent, to make changes in your life, to begin to follow Him in some area of your life and line up your life with what His Word has to say rather than trying to conform His Word to your life. That, 
is the way that we give glory and honor to Jesus. And my prayer for all of you is that you would have lives that do that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the Lord of all creation. And Father, I'll I'll admit that there have been times in my life when I only came to Jesus because I wanted something from him. And Father, my guess is that some of the rest of us have done that too. Father, thank you that you do make life better, that you do repair relationships and restore marriages and, and make better parents and take care of our finances and, and give us purpose in our jobs. But Father, those are all really byproducts of the fact that, that you want us just to come to you for who you are. So thanks for this sign that helps us to understand that. Father, would you take and all the things that we've learned today and help us to apply them in our life. Pray your Holy Spirit would bring them to mind. That you would help us to live our lives in a way that would bring you glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.